And what we started to hear from our students was things like you're saying, this, you have to know, this practice has changed my life. Like I, and they're not saying, I lost, they are also, but I lost 10 pounds because that will happen too. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things like a student saying to us, I just, I want you to know this, but my wife was just diagnosed with breast cancer and it was what I learned in my yoga practice here that has helped me, help me help her through this. I see myself catastrophizing. I see it. I'm able to actually witness my fearful thoughts and manage them breath by breath, instant by instant. And that's what we want. We're going, this is what we want to do. This is we, how, okay, and how, do we know for sure how this is happening? Because we want more of that. And that's what's fueled our passion to keep, keep digging deeper into this. Hey, Yogi Triathlete community. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jess. I'm your host. I'm here with Coach Beach, and I'm here with our yoga teachers, Philip Urso and Renee Delorier. And we're at Rhode Island Power Yoga. Beach and I just had the uh, pleasure of teaching the 10 a.m. class. We took the 815 class, and Beach, you've never taught in this studio before. And so doing the double-double in 98 degrees with 80% humidity... Yeah. I, at one point, I looked over at him, and I was like, wow, I've only seen that face at the finish line of a race when he needs to go to the med tent. <laughs> so, Renee and Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Why don't we jump in and tell us about Live, Love, Teach. We started Live, Love, Teach around 2010. Currently, with Live, Love, Teach, it's uh, Renee and I are the two facilitators. Two, we run the show. And um, I think... Um, we've evolved. It's evo the teaching has evolved. I think that's kind of what's happened. We kind of pay attention to what works and what doesn't work, and we keep throwing out. I think one of our big philosophies is that we throw out stuff that doesn't work. We're not afraid. When I was a new teacher, I was afraid to throw at anything. I, I would hold on, cling on to things, and teach them anyway, and I didn't really know whether they worked or not. And then I started analyzing that. I think we all started analyzing that, and we really culled out a lot of stuff. One of our means of teaching is minimum relevant words. If you really take that seriously, you'll find that yoga teachers could cut out a lot of language. Um, a lot of uh, over-cueing, a lot of things like that can happen. And what happens when you teach like that, the first thing that happens is you get comfortable in silence. Like, the room is quiet for longer periods, and people aren't normally, aren't even used to that. But if you give people a chance to get used to being comfortable in silence, and they do actually, over time, become comfortable in it, just being in silence with themselves. It is an indication to me that they're actually l starting to like themselves. They're, they don't need anything else other than their own company. I think that's sort of w w the way I think about it. Well, I'll give you, like, the boilerplate, right? Like, the Live, Love, Teach, it's, an, it's a yoga teacher training school. So people come to us to learn a, either how to teach yoga, or B, just what is yoga, how, why. Oftentimes we'll get people who just love their experience on the mat, but they want to know more. They want to know more about, well, how, why am I feeling this good, and how, how does it work? So they'll come to our, one of our trainings to learn that. To, and we try to give them a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look of what goes on, how, what we do here at Rhode Island Power Yoga, uh, how we teach, why we teach what we teach. Um, all of those things are important for them to know 
in order to stand and teach, you have to kind of know what you're teaching and why, really. So it's grown. Like Philip said, it started in 2010. Uh, Philip was one of the co-founders of it. It has evolved. In, in fact, the, some, some of the original co-founders have left and done, gone to do other things. But Philip and I continued with, with it. And in 2014 opened Rhode Island Power Yoga. And I think that that really fueled the content of what we're teaching now in our trainings because it was sort of like we put our money where our mouth was. Like, okay, we're doing this in trainings. We're telling teachers to do this in trainings. and But does it really work in a studio? Can we actually use all the principles that we teach at Live, Love, Teach and open a studio and stick to those principles? It's very tempting to add things, other things in. But what if we didn't do that? What if we stuck to only what we teach in our trainings and operated a studio that way? And so we did. We opened the studio, and we're going on five years, and all of those, we've stayed true to that. We've really stayed true to the principles of Live, Love, Teach in operating Rhode Island Power Yoga, and it's growing. I mean, we have have a great staff of teachers, all of who have gone through our training, all of who uh, buy into and are very consistent in their teaching. The community continues to grow and grow. People keep coming back, and we're not adding any gimmicks. We're sticking to the, um, and that's part of what I hope we'll talk about today, is part of the evolution is, is Philip especially is studying what elements of a yoga class can actually help people, actually help them in their lives, deal with anxiety, stress, depression. How, how does it work, and can we continually cultivate a class that only offers those elements and we throw out everything else. What are the the tenets of Live, Love, Teach? You, Philip had mentioned the minimum relevant words and so share share with the audience what the what those other tenants are because that's really what you're talking about. That's really the foundation of, of how you teach here and how you train teachers to teach. Okay, yeah, minimal relevant words is one of them. What that means is we try not to overcue. We try not to talk when it's not needed. Uh, we try to offer give silence, which is what Philip was saying in this culture, and I'm sure you can talk more about that. There's no, we hardly ever get silence. In fact, we're overstimulated, overentertained. Uh, nobody knows what to do. What happens when, when, when the mind's not entertained is it slips into boredom or anxiety, and nobody seems to have the skills to deal with that. That's one of the big problems in the culture is that people can't handle being alone with themselves without entertainment. And it's showing up right now in several, and on our website we cite now several large studies about anxiety levels and depression levels and suicide levels that are skyrocketing, not in the millennials so much. And there's an overall increase in those in those in all ages, but there's a gigantic surge in what's called iGen, which is uh, people who their whole life had an iPhone in their hand. So this generation is off the charts in anxiety. And I could cite a lot of studies. You could go to our website and see on the yoga-based stress reduction page of our 500-hour training. You could see that, and that's something that's inspired us to start to dig a little deeper into what's going on and what can yoga play a role can yoga play any role a, a, and i think yoga should play a role in that crisis that's looming think about the crisis if it doesn't get handled this generation 
goes through and becomes, you know, 50% of them have high anxiety, 50, the depression and suicide rates go up high. Now we've got a growing body, and if it doesn't get handled, their people that follow them, it's, gonna, it's just gonna be a, a big, wide anxiety crisis that gets bigger and bigger as people age. So there's gotta be some solutions other than, the, the two main treatments right now, other than drugs, are CBT and mindfulness-based stress reduction. They do a good job, but I think that yoga can also do a great job for many, many reasons, and we can talk about that at some point if you'd like. Um, I got off track a little bit, but the tenants of yeah. live, love, teach. So they're really what they're 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 kind of boiling down to. I mean, I'm going to rephrase live, love, teach a little bit because there's a lot of other tenants we could bring up. Yeah, well, Do you no, want to risk what, this? Well, what I was going to say is there's two. There's there's teaching tenants and there's operating a studio tenants and there's so. Um, you know, like we can get into teaching tenants or like call the pose and watch or but but one of the big things is. I think what what makes Live Love Teach teaching stand out in terms of vinyasa is we are at, we actually hold the class accountable for matching their breath to motion. We add synchro, synchronized motion into the class, and we're not doing this just for entertainment or for fun or to make us stand out. We're doing it because we know, and Philip now too has this evidence based that that these are the types of things that actually help people. Right? They it's mindfulness training right there, matching your breath to motion, mindfulness training. You can't can't, you can't match your breath to your motion and then your breath and motion to the whole room and be thinking about lunch. Like you just, it can't happen. So we're training them to be mindful just by doing that. That's one of the, the things I think st stands out. Consistency across the board is one of that. Now that would be go more towards studio operation. Like we're not, there's not a variety. We offer one class several times a day. Um, and then there, so that goes into like business management. Um, I think that's important, the all levels. Your classes are all levels. Yes, It's not anybody. yoga sculpt and then uh, sleepy yoga and all these different labels Gentle, that you have. beginner. Right, you come here, you get yes. one thing, and you give the responsibility to the yogi to take child's pose, to, to own their experience right, here, not right. come in with a preconceived, you know, this is how it's going to go for me. Like, they're open, have an open mind and check in with yourself and breath to make that decision yourself. And you give them this space, the environment to do that. Thank so you. That's, yes, I, that's that what I believe is, exactly. is important because I think when you were talking about you're always constant, you're constantly looking to improve what you're doing here and, and the reason why, but these tenants are the, 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 the basis of it. So everything revolves around this. So if our listeners are thinking, well, they're probably going to change. It's not really change. It's just fine tuning. Right. The we're tweaking what we're things. offering. Right. Yeah. But oh, yeah. But the class is always suited for anybody. But that, and that was one of our as we open the doors, we're like, we want to offer a class, one class that anybody can walk into. And it's happening here. We can have in any given class a teenager all the way through somebody in their 70s. We have several students, several. We have a, a whole body of students who are teenagers and a whole body that are in their 70s. So and they're coming to the same class. Um, and part of that is we don't do music, and there's reasons behind that, lots of reasons behind that. Um, but I it actually can, think that's an important thing to just touch upon, and then I want to talk more about this anxiety epidemic that's really holding a lot of people hostage in their life. But uh, when I first walked into No Music, No Mirrors, to Philip's class at Newport Power Yoga um, back in the day, I thought I had just walked into hell. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's always in red. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? 
So talk about the no music because Philip, you've got a background in this. You used to own radio stations, and um, I've I've watched. Yeah, people think I hate music. Like they, I, I've they watched just, you have conversations. You just hate music. That's the problem. No, I don't. I was a DJ. I was a, <laughs> built sixteen radio stations. I like. I, that's not the thing. That's not why we don't play music. It's not because so I hate music. Tell us about so why. why you don't play music. If you look at the culture that we're in right now, it's over-entertained. We've mentioned that, right? Entertainment is the problem. People don't know what to do when they don't have entertainment. They don't know what to do. You could say entertainment could be characterized as the drug. So why in the world would a yoga teacher give them the drug? Why would they pl play music in the studio when the music is their problem and the studio's job is to help them help them learn to cope without entertainment how can they that's what we were talking about earlier about silence like our job is to get them so they can be comfortable without anything external if we can do that we've succeeded if we can't do that we've just become more of the problem we've made the problem bigger and the studios that are playing music i they don't like to hear what i say we put up a post in elephant journal we were on our way to Bali, remember? And we landed in Holland, and we got, we got like 265 comments. What the hell? That was like in two hours. We put it, we posted it, and got on the plane. It was five hours. We're on the plane. And we, what the hell just happened? The people were personally attacking us. It was, but it was just hilarious. It was, it was just so sensitive. But I remember when I started, I used music, and I had justifications in my head there at the ready. Like, I, okay, if somebody asks me why I'm playing music, I'm going to say, these are my reasons. But I knew in my heart it really wasn't, it wasn't, I shouldn't be playing music in a yoga class. Well, and also statistically you've shared with us, you know, when you're playing a song, the percentage of people in that room that may enjoy it, the rest of the people are, right. they're not enjoying it. Right, and so there's, a, there's no way around that unless you want your studio to become like a radio station, which a radio station, a successful one, even today, a music station, has a slice of a demographic that's usually seven, like 10 years, 35 to 44 women would be a demographic that a radio station would try to really own, right? And so it only plays songs that that demo likes, but only half of that demo because the men have a whole different set of songs. So every demo, and you can go through, you know, 12 to, 12 to 18, 18 to 24, 25 to 34, 35 to 44, all the way up, every one of those slices has a male and female pop playlist. So think about that division. Think about separation. As soon as you play one song, unless everybody's that same in that little tiny age group, you're not really able to welcome everybody. You can't with the songs. But the funniest thing was when I, I didn't have, remember CDs? Do you remember what a CD is? I had CDs and I was playing CDs every class and I forgot my CDs and I almost wanted to say, I'll be back in 20 minutes. I gotta go home and get my CDs. <laughs> I couldn't teach without, the first time I heard people breathing and not breathing, it's the first time I'm like, oh, people aren't even doing, they're not doing anything. They're not doing the pranayama at all. Um, that was w exposed. And then after class, a woman came up to me, and I'll never forget it. She was one of the regulars. She said, I'm so glad you're not playing the damn music. Oh, my God, I hated every song. <laughs> like, I don't know how I survived. Like, I felt like what an idiot I am. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> But that's a good point. The, if, if we know, and now we do know, that the pranayama, right? This is not news. This is yeah, yoga, no, right? Yeah. Like, that, that's one of the most important things, especially today with, with anxiety management. And if it's our job as a teacher to hold the class accountable to doing this kind of breathing and matching it to their motion, how do you do it with music? 
Like, really, how do you, you can't hear their breath. They can't hear their breath. They can't hear each other's breath if the music is blaring. So that's, that's another thing, too. Like, we have teachers in our training often who really defend the music and why they play the music. And their reasonings sound really good, but they can't. We constantly challenge them. But what does it have to do with yoga? Where is, tell us how playing the music is teaching yoga. How? And the only, the closest answer for me that anybody's ever come to is it does work in the same way breath awareness works, whereas you're moving your attention away from your stressful thoughts onto something else. So yes, well, when I'm listening to the music, I'm not listening to my stressful thoughts in the same way that breath awareness works. Okay, Good. All right. That true. However, the music is outside of you. It's something that you must seek, but your breath isn't. Music is is working to the part of your mind that's demanding to be entertained. It's not it's feeding the part of your mind that's addicted to entertainment. So that's really that. Uh, in addition, that's really right. a, it's, given, the, it's the heroine. It's, it's giving them the relief. It's not that's teaching right. them to be a whole person without any kind of external, without anything external. Right, so if you remove the music, right, they're relying on the music, you remove the music, what do they have? They don't have that right. tool anymore, they don't have it. However, the breath is always happening, right? The right. breath is yes. always there. So it's not looking externally. Yeah. So I, see, I can really see that argument, I've never heard it like that, but that makes sense for a little bit until you remove that element and now right. you're it's something back else with just like again. the heroin well the heroin makes me feel so much better right. and i'm not stressed anymore and so does the glass of wine thing. so does a book so does a movie but they're all in the entertainment they're not in the yoga category it's in the entertainment category and from a business perspective too like some they'll argue well if the, I, the people love it but we'll say but really as a business really step back and i get it believe me i get it because as a studio like as a business owner you're always looking for ways to you know to boost attendance and stuff but in the long run you're you're taking your market that can be teens to 70s like philip just said and you're shrinking it you just you might think you might think that it's building the business but you're really you're limiting your audience you are so so we take away the music we ask them to pay attention to their breath, which they may or may not have ever done before in their that. life. More than that. We ask them to s synchronize their breath with their motion, which sounds like, oh, of course we do. I go to st my student, it doesn't. We go to these studios, it's not happening. So then we ask them to synchronize their motion with other people. So this is a this is a bit this is a, a task that requires full on presence. I say it all the time while I'm teaching. You actually have to pay attention to what you're doing while you're doing it. It sounds like the simplest instruction in the world. Keep your attention on what you're doing in real time. It's not as easy as it sounds. And that's what, and now, and our students, just by showing up to class, just by sinking their breath to motion, by breathing and moving with everybody else, they're doing it for longer and longer periods of time. We keep expanding the amount of time, like we call it rollicking, where we keep them going, we keep them talk, going. Yeah, we, we try not to talk at all, unless just anything that's needed, like giving them instructions to keep going. But we try to step out of it and keep them in this state of pure presence for as long as we can. My experience with meditation and, and teaching meditation and working with mindfulness is that the way I sum it up is when we get still, when we remove the entertainment, 
we get to see what's brewing under the surface. Mm. And a lot of that is anxiety. So mm-hmm. let's jump into that. Um, I know mm-hmm. you've been studying it a lot and just go for it. You what do you want to share? The definition of anxiety is fear of fear. That's funny. It's fear of fear. <laughs> it's fear. You're afraid of fear. Like you, you, and then you feel a little and you get more, like it builds from, from that. Um, so um, the levels of anxiety in this country, in, in, this, in the United States, um, particularly very heightened among the uh, people born after 1995. It's called iGen. It's not so much the millennials. People try to blame the millennials with this, but it's not, this, they're, not, they're not having the same problem. The levels have, have skyrocketed. Um, it's the first, as I said before, the first generation that's grown up with an iPhone in their hand the whole time. So there's a, there's a lot, of, we could talk about the causes, but I don't think, I think what we want to do is talk about how yoga affects anxiety. And so, or really mindfulness has really super duper studies on this. And yoga and mindfulness have so much in common that a lot of the studies that are these uh, biomarker studies on, on anxiety and depression that uh, are so, so well put together that are on mindfulness have total application to much of what we do in a yoga class if we're doing what we just described. Not if we're playing music, it won't work. But if you get them into silence, you get them breathing together, you get them moving, you get the pranayama, you get them into a a state of of mindfulness, they're going to get the benefits of lower anxiety. I think I talked about earlier this, this study. It's so telling where they put people under an MRI live. They were alive in there and they... They said, now think negative thoughts about yourself. And the parts of their brain associated with anxiety lit up as expected. And then they said, now think about, now take your awareness and focus on your breath. They called it, I love this phrase, breath-focused attention. A lot of the psychological language in these psychological studies are so great. I just love the language. But breath-focused attention. And right away, the anxiety lights went off and and lights associated in the brain with uh, with the well-being and calmness and confidence, all those all lit up. It's really worth noting it didn't take 10 years in Tibet. In Tibet. You don't have to go to Tibet for 10 years and get that. It happened like that. So the, the results are in a yoga studio or in a mindfulness experience are very, very, very powerful. They've been very well uh, measured now. They're totally credible. So why in the world are we monkeying around, playing, entertaining them when we can actually get at the cause of the anxiety is to have them learn that moving their awareness away from the anxiety is the first major step. You're in charge of your awareness. Did you know that? You can move your awareness to whatever you want. We suggest move it to your breath when you don't like the way you feel. We say in our classes, anytime you don't like the way you feel, move your awareness to your breath. Notice your breath. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. It works that fast, and all of a sudden, you're in a different body. Everything's different. The world looks different from that place. Uh, we could talk a little bit more about anxiety. I mean, the, the anxiety and suicide rates are, I don't know if you want how much detail. On our website, you can see stuff like this. Well, this I think is, it's because it's so epidemic right now. I mean, we're, we, we're all working with people who are, are um, dealing experiencing with this. this. So I think it's 60, good to... 61.8% have their main concern about health is anxiety. I mean, that's pretty heavy. And then this, just going to show you these slides quickly. They may not make it into the podcast, but this is attended counseling mental health over uh, from 11 to 18, 18% increase. These people are the 18% increase there. This one is purposefully injured yourself without suicide intent, cutting, hitting, burning, pulling hair, 
27% up, increased. This one is a little scary. Seriously considered attempting suicide, up 50% over those over that eight-year period. That's not. That's a little bit. This is an treacherous. Eight-year eight I mean, period this trend. Is, this is the eight-year yeah, trend. This is not over the course of 50 years. No. This is just the last eight years. This is the the iPhone stuff. So this is a big one. It's made a suicide attempt, 29% over those. It increased up. It increased by 29% over the eight years, from 0.8 to 10.3% of and the population. And this is coming out of a college, college mental health clinic. clinic. Right. So we're talking about college-age kids. That's right. This is wow. a, another, just another quick one, is a sudden drop in self-esteem. This was measured by uh, monitoring the future, a study called Monitoring the Future. And this just right here, you can see the self-esteem just drops through the floor. And the author of this said, uh, I've been studying large national studies for 25 years. I've never seen a drop this precipitous and this fast. And this is, this happened just right. You can, if you, a sudden drop in self-esteem. This is the, s the same demographic, basically. This is high school age kids, uh, and the data is 2016. So these kids are starting to go into college now. And it's not just like like when we grew up watching TV, having your you know Saturday Night Love Boat. You got to get up and change the channel and all of that. They're not just they're not just taking the content in. They're engaging with right. the content too. It's so much more than just yeah. Love Boat was on and that was it. This is <laughs> this is you're constantly seeing where your friends are, whether you're there or not. Right. Think about it. Think of how your self-esteem as a teenager in back in the 70s and 80s. Okay. Um, now imagine having that, but at any given time your picture would be taken and posted, which in, you, in your mind is to your whole world. Because in their mind, like as a teenager, their whole circle of friends is their whole world. And at any given time, there's a picture of you on social media, right? So you have that pressure. It's the pressure of what's everybody doing, fear of missing out. Um, Screen time in general. The Snapchatting, it's constant. It's like everybody has to know what everybody's doing. It's just, it's, we, we see yeah. it. I mean, we, we see it in our own household. And it is, it's, it's, it's an interruption to the, they, they have a hard time staying focused on just one thing sitting down to do their homework or having a meal with the family because the phone, it's like they have to get back to we the phone. We have it, too. Adults like, have yeah, the same thing. Right. I mean, I, I catch myself all the time. It's, yeah. it's intense. Well, what I was going to say, I mean, all of this is alarming. So our vision now is can yoga studios be a viable option, right? Right. To, is in, it, can in, it be an viable option? Can it be the front line, like a front line of learning resilience to anxiety? Right. What, what are you finding? What are you seeing? Because you're, you're having people come here you know right, for the first right. time and it like me when you when i walked in like whoa no music no mirrors but this is hell so what do, what do well, you why did you stay you stayed and you I came back stay. oh yeah i came back why did you come back because i i loved it well, what did you love about it what happened after the first class for many athletes and competitive people i think that kind of class is for they come out of that class and for the first this is for me too the first time in my life i felt no stress in my body i never knew what that felt like and i was like what the hell just happened to me all the stress is gone in my body i don't know how it happened or what they did but i have to go back i don't want to feel that stress in my body anymore and i think that was a profound moment for me and i think yeah yeah a hundred percent definitely how i felt physically but I think how I felt mentally, you know, mm. why did I stay? 
can't really remember, but knowing me back then, it was probably like, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to, I'm going to stay in this hell and I'm going to see what it's about. (laughs) And, um, and you know, like you don't give up, you don't, you don't walk in somewhere and then walk out. You fulfill what you said you were going to do. So it was probably a little bit of enduring. I'm sure I was enduring. And then eventually just softened into the practice, which, Mm. you know, gave me all the tools to really transform my life in in a very positive way. But yeah, what are, what are you seeing? How is, can this be a frontline defense to anxiety? Well, and how are you teaching it? Just to, I mean, Philip's really delved into it, but it started with, like I said earlier, we opened the studio and we wanted it, you know, like, let's see if this really works. If all, all of the ideas and all of the way that we're telling others to teach, is this, is this working? And what we started to hear from our students was things like you're saying, this you have to know this practice has changed my life. Like I, and they're not saying I lost, they are also, but I lost 10 pounds because that will happen too. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things like a student saying to us, I just, I want you to know this, but my wife was just diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was what I learned in my yoga practice here that has helped me, help me help her through this. I see myself catastrophizing. I see it. I'm able to actually witness my fearful thoughts and manage them breath by breath, instant by instant. And that's what we want. We're going, this is what we want to do. This is we, how, okay, and how, do we know for sure how this is happening? Because we want more of that. And that's what's fueled our passion to keep, keep digging deeper into this. The inquiry that, we, that started few years back, how does yoga work, is now being answered by science. So we're studying science. Yoga-based stress reduction is basically what you will learn. What we want to do is is explain the science behind yoga as it's as best as the best uh, examples of it as that we know now. So we we look out at the studio. A lot of studios could have teachers claim make claims like Renee just made. I'm sure. But we're saying, how do we maximize the likelihood of that yes. happening? How do we throw out all the crap out of the class that doesn't add to that and maybe even subtracts from that and make the class pure mindfulness-based stress reduction? Or we'll call it yoga-based stress reduction. So we've identified, this is, a, this is just like a draft, but some of the elements that we think are critical to making this work, to having, to maximizing the therapeutic power or potency of the class. Part of it is verified group breathing. Why do we say verified? Why would you, why would we have to say verified? Because in a lot of classes, the teacher's calling inhale, exhale, but if you really look closely, people are breathing any which way. Or not it's, at all. Or not at all. And so that's the first thing. Verified is this synchronized. It happens naturally when we synchronize the breath. When we get everyone to breathe together, the teacher can hear it. They can manage it. They can, they're number one for vinyasa. What is vinyasa? It's basically matching breath and motion. Number one thing is being lost in the culture. It's being lost in the culture of yoga, I think, in some cases. Not all, but in some cases. So I think that's the first element that if you can maintain that, your likelihood of creating a high-potency uh, therapeutic class, very good. Very, uh, very good. Uh, the other is poses. And we're starting to teach the poses in new ways. First of all, we threw out, and no one even noticed, all the poses that have ridiculous risk in them. We don't do any inversions anymore. We don't call headstand anymore. Why? It has high risk and low value. What does it do? People, they call it the king of the asana. We say, 
we don't, it, I don't see the king of the asana in any studies, and I practically don't see any. All I see is people hurting their cervical spine or their neck. Like, why do we, why do we want to do that? Did we, so we made some decisions. We thought they would be hard. We took them out, and nobody noticed. And wait, just to be clear, <laughs> the, there's down dogs and stuff like yeah. that. They're, yeah. they're, they're inverting, but they're yeah. not putting any pressure on there. We're not doing anything that's going to compromise this. the cervical spine. So, but then another aspect of poses that we're really excited about is this studies, and I've got a whole bunch. I've got like six studies on it, and I've also this, this great studies on posture. And we call it powerful pose, and it's basically mountain pose. But now that I understand how mountain pose works, what it really does, I'm really excited. I want to teach it everywhere. I want to teach it in all the poses. I want to see it everywhere in the pose. I want people to have it. Basically, your posture has feedback to your levels of, sense of serotonin. Serotonin is the good drugs in your pharmacy and your body. Like it's the it's confident, it's the confidence, well-being drugs, those drugs. You have a pharmacy. You can get more of the serotonin if you act like you're confident, which is this pose, which is shoulders up and back and down and strong, chest up, that kind of thing. That pose right there. That pose tells the body everything's safe. You uh, look confident. We're going to give you the confidence drugs. And so you get more serotonin. If you stand like that, if you t so I'm teaching triangle. I'm wanna, I want I, every single pose I teach now. I'm looking for that pose, airplane. All these poses. I'm trying to get that alignment in the pose. Of course, I was always taught that, but now I really get it. Like it makes sense. Why would I want them ever to? Be? The opposite of that pose we call. We're all sitting up. What's sitting up? So damn but what's straight. this pose? Spot on right this pose, right? This pose. This pose is we call this the pose of the iPhone user. So the shoulders are slooped. Your spine is coming out your back, and you've got this. Your neck is all cranked up. So that pose has the opposite effect. So that that messages to the mind. It's a little, you're acting like you're scared, like you're really afraid, like you're trying to back into a corner. We better put you on high alert. We're going to put you on high alert, which equals high anxiety, essentially. So this pose, if you, if you don't teach this, we call it lobster pose, if you don't teach this powerful pose and you let people go into poses like this a lot, into this weak pose or whatever you want to call it, this iPhone user pose, you're basically letting them get away with they're, to practice in a yoga class, the worst possible posture. We always want to have, because what happens is their serotonin availability goes down. Means less serotonin means more anxiety. So this is fiddly. Now that I see in science that this, that the postures can be manipulated by the, 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 the serotonin is manipulated by the posture. It's like, holy shit. And what? that's part of why do, why do we feel so good after yeah. yoga class? Now it's a little another piece and of the And we don't want to miss right? that, right. ever. Anywhere in the class, I want to get them to have that posture. I don't want them ever to get this weak posture. I want them always to have. So that changes the way you teach a class and postures. And the way I t to teach postures is so much different now. It's so simple. I'm looking for that pose. Of course, you would be. I was taught that, but I didn't. It, I didn't really learn it until I saw the science behind it. Another one is single-pointed awareness is another one that we, we love that now. Single-pointed awareness. Dharana um, is single-pointed concentration. We use, in yoga, we use a lot in dristi as a dristi point. But what I really see how it works, it works with seated meditation. So now we're doing it. So the, the two go together. Like if you can't, so it basically says set all of your attention on a single point, right? Put all your attention on that single point. Boom, lock it. Make it so, you, this is language I like. Make it so your eyeballs don't move. 
So now they're really locked on this. They've taken all their resources of focus and they're using them. Now that all their resources of focus are all in one place, and then you say, close your eyes. And you don't have to hold it long, you can hold it for a minute, a couple, number of breaths, and all of a sudden they close their eyes, and this is in a seat, this place is, there's really good places for this in an active ass-kicking vinyasa class, there's great places for this. But this is, so all of a sudden they close their eyes and they're sort of jump-started into meditation. It's not like you have to sit there and go, ooh, ooh, fiddle and scratch and scratch. They, it, because you've already taken your fa facilities of concentration and you've, you've taken control of them and now the meditation just jump starts. You, 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 you'll, you just practice it and you'll see it works beautifully. So that's an, those two together are great. There are so much science on those. John Kabat-Zinn's uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, the studies are just fantastic. And they're so, it's so it's, it, there's no doubt about this stuff. So why would we fiddle with it and, and do stuff that's not this stuff. How does, noise. well actually I want to keep, I want to keep you going because yeah. you've got, you've got more to go. Because you can edit this down so it's a reasonable length, right? Yeah, we, we'll go, we, we'll yeah. go like okay. maybe another 15 minutes so, or so. Yeah, maybe, so maybe you want to hold, oh, yeah, yeah. hold back. So now we're not going to tell you any more. All right, we're holding back. <laughs> then, then I, wait. These are yeah. beautiful. <laughs> but you know, you don't want to give away this gift. <laughs> so then, um, so well, I have a question. Well, there's eight of these things. There's eight of these elements we've identified. But and you're going to have to sign up for the live, love, teach teacher training to there's get those more, to get the five more. But what this entertainment culture that we're in? How does that mess with our ability to concentrate? What happens? So you're you're constant entertainment. Let me ask this. It's not even the entertainment. It's the damn phone. It's the ding, ding, ding. It's like the, but ding, 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 ding. Right. So we're constantly getting pulled in all these different directions. Yeah. Right. And, and but how long do you spend on an item in on the phone? For how long? Depends. Like your mind. How short just, can it be? Yeah, it can be long. It can be short or long. Like it can be. How short can it be? No. If you open up an article and the article's really long, do you? No. No. You, you read the, oh, no. That's yeah. the thing. That the cliff note. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Yes. Right. right. Everything's a little chunk. Because people's attention span is going is getting shorter and sh culturally it so is. So it's flick, 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 flick. Oh, right, right, oh the flick. good. So flick, the, flick, flick, the flick. flicking keeps going and you don't even know you're right. flicking. And so and it's yeah. so the quality of the entertainment must it, it, it it's competing with itself. So you you give them silence. Now they get all these little tiny things that are really highly entertaining for two seconds, three seconds, two seconds. And all of a sudden you say, now, no entertainment in the yoga class. And they go, oh, oh. At first it's like, oh. But if you let them sit in them with themselves long enough, we talked yeah. about this in the very beginning. It's really urgent that people can get comfortable in silence without any entertainment, anything external. That's the sign that they're there starting to. There is that eye of the needle they have to go through. But once they get, once they get to the other side, then they start start craving it. Then they're coming back for it. Then they want that silence. They want it. But it's, and then how do we as yoga teachers help them get through that eye of the needle? Right. A lot of it that's is. That's our job. Right, that that's is our, our job. job. Is get right. them through that. And then they, once they're comfortable in silence, you have a whole different, a different human being is there. It's not the same person anymore. And that's the transformation that we're talking about. Oh, and we want to speed it up. We don't want to, we want to use all the tools. Yoga has these great, amazing tools. We don't use them. We're hiding them and burying them under music. You know, it's... Not just under music, under, under so much alignment, so much emphasis on the poses, so much, you know, we get lost. We all do as yoga teachers. And I feel right? like or all that does is it feeds the mind's need for certainty. I'm doing this right. I'm doing yes. this right. Yeah. 
like I'm, I'm, right. yeah, poses, and yeah. also kind of feeding. Like if I don't do it right, then I'm going to be fearful. But I'm doing it right, so I can feel safe now. So it's like we're feeding those parts of the brain that are really keeping us from these, um, from this this inner uh, introspection. Yeah, and I guess who I'm speaking to now is like the people who say, "Oh, I can't do it. My mind's too busy. Oh, I can't," mm. you know. And I th- and when I asked about the concentration. I really do believe that this is something that we've lost the ability to do is focus, to stay focused, focus on a conversation with somebody, you know, focus on reading that article, take the time to read the article. If you, if you're interested in it, why not? Right. Right. And that is, that's, that's that sixth limb of yoga. That's concentration. And we must, must be able to concentrate our mind before we can experience meditation. meditation. Right. They have to go together. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, the anxiety, I mean, we were kind of talking about the iGen population, but it's, it's the parents. It's helicopter parenting. Yeah. It's, it's the grandparents. It's, you know, it's, it's everyone is, is experiencing this. It's a, it's a culture of, sa- one of the things that comes out is this culture of safetyism where yes. used to, when we were kids, we would ride, I would ride my bike all over town. I was 10 years old, nine years old, eight years old, just go anywhere. Else. And now you, I would, my parents would be arrested if they, it's, it's cases of that, for that. We live in suburban United States is clearly the safest environment humans have ever existed in, in all time. And yet the levels of anxiety are the highest we've ever recorded in, in history of being recording anxiety. Why is that? It's because p- parents are somehow convinced that there's danger everywhere. Part of it is that I think media, um, a shooting in California reaches everybody. A sh- all the, the media just gets us right away. I think that part of it plays a role in it. But I think there's this, this denial of, grow- of kids being able to grow up. What we're finding is kids that are 18 and going off to college have the maturity in the, uh, it, from past experiences and measurements of someone who's 15. That's a big gap. Right there. That's the that's part of what happens in the culture of safetyism. Because and we're growing up like in this protective. Yes, shell. children need to be challenged so they can adapt to their culture pro- appropriately, and they're not getting it. Everything's. There, the, one of the researchers was talking. She was interviewing a woman, a 19-year-old girl, and saying, um, "So you get to you you go to the mall and stuff like that." She goes, "Yeah, I go to the mall." And she goes. Um, but you get to go. You go to the mall without your mom. No, no, I go with my mom. But I get to, I can I get to walk behind her a little bit when I'm at the mall. This is a 19-year-old girl, like not safe at the mall, not safe out of the mother's sight. That's just a, a, anecdotal, but it's, there's something in there, right there. There's some kind of a problem in there. Now this girl has never experienced anything challenging, really challenging, like we grew up the way we grew up, rough and tumble. That's needed. All mammals do that. They all, little puppies do that. They bite each other, they roll, they roll, they're learning how to be a dog, how to, the boundaries of it. And that's not happening now. That's one of the problems right now. Safetyism is one of the problems. There's a, we can cover, and the training will cover all the causes of this, but that's a really good one you brought up, is this idea of safety. We've been uh, watching these birds. They've gone through three, raising three broods in this little nest that we have on our patio. And I've been watching. I spend a lot of time out in nature as well. But we've mm-hmm. been, I've been really watching and learning from these doves about detachment, right? About mm-hmm. the struggle, mm-hmm. 
Like once they can regulate the temperature, the parents go away. You know, I've yeah. seen the birds yeah. come back and they're like wanting food. And I've seen the mother swoop in and literally push, push them, them yeah, yeah. like get out of here. <laughs> we had one of both of them fell out of the nest and then Beach did this Miyagi thing and got one back in and the other flew away and the mom came back. And I'm like, I'm trying to communicate with her. I'm like. The other one's over there. <laughs> and she wasn't moving. She like she just trusted. Yeah. She knew that she just knew like this is the nest and this is where we meet. Yeah. And he will either find his way back or not find his way yeah. back. And I think there's so much that we miss that we can learn from nature. It's yeah. just it's magnificent. You have to have you knock that that cocoon down to set the butterfly free. That butterfly is gonna fall to the ground and die. You have to have the struggle. Yeah, the struggle is is part of it. It's a na it's a critical part of growing up. Is the struggle, the games, playing games outside, doing stuff outside. That's like not happening much. Imagination. There's all this stuff that's being that safetyism curtails, stops, or st or stunts the growth of of children. I think. So that's one of the. There's a whole. There's a whole bunch of studies on these on the causes. One is just screen time, where one of the scientists just says, look. Two hours of screen time a day is, is the limit. Any hour after that is like a dose of anxiety. And they've got kids doing nine, 10 hours a day of screen time. Parents and grownups, it applies to you too. Two hours, no problem. Three hours, one dose of anxiety. Four, two doses. <laughs> but just add them up as you go. But it creates that. And it also creates this um, uh, artificial cu culture of, of social, yeah, yeah being social. Yeah. They don't know how to socialize without a gadget. Not, not that I don't want to say they don't. We're really gadget. being general here, but it has an effect on their, the way that they interact with one another because they're, most of their socialization now is through phones mm -hmm. and not actual real face-to-face -face right. contact. I was looking last night. I haven't seen my parents in two years, and I'm at the tape, my kitchen table. My mom's on her phone, my dad's on her phone, and I was on my phone. And I looked up and I was like, what's going on? Like, it's become the norm. What is happening? It's become the we norm, We don't know what to yes. say. Maybe it's just like the empty space, the quiet. Like, what do you say? We've already covered everything. Like, rehash the past. <laughs> like, right? All this stuff goes through. But and at that moment, I just put down the phone and I just was like, wow. Like, this is what it's come to. And it's a generation yeah. of people in their 60s. I'm in my 40s. And I'm sure it trickles all the way down to my nephews, like a year and a half, who already can... Yeah. Handle a phone. Yes. So what are you really excited about, Philip? We've heard, we've felt your passion, per usual. But what are you really excited about? Like, <laughs> that's, that was just the warm-up. Well, I think this idea of um, yoga-based stress reduction, this idea of uh, discovering and helping teachers discover the science behind uh, yoga's practices, we've spent a lot of time on that. We're going to keep improving that. Um, let me just stop and say for a second, can yoga play a part in this, if there really is an anxiety crisis on the horizon, or happening already, right in front of our eyes, this anxiety crisis happening? The, the current treatments for anxiety are going to get overwhelmed, and it's probably going to, the worst case scenario is they start to overdrug people. That's what they do when they, I think, they, there are some great therapies right now. Um, one is CBT, it's terrific therapy. It's basically Byron Katie. Cognitive-based, you should say what it is. Cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy. She, it's, but that is, this, the, that they can only field so many people at once. A lot, there's some group stuff, but I, I think there's gonna, there is developing a stronger and stronger need for yoga to 
take itself a little seriously. Like, and can we, can yoga teachers educate themselves on the science? And can we just, can we grow up a bit and get behind science on this and help solve this problem? Now, what we're going to teach, we're not going to tell you how to teach a class or anything like that. We're going to, we're going to show you what we think is the ideal structure class. But you, we're going to give you tools to go, and whatever you teach, we're going to show you how to maximize the therapeutic potency that, that's backed by science. That's what we really want to do. That's what this is all about. We want to help teachers do that. So it already solves a lot of things. Yoga is widely available. Like, it's on every corner in some places. There's 37 million active practitioners, 122,000 yoga teachers. Most studios offer over 30 classes a week. Doesn't, probably doesn't carry any kind of a stigma, so that helps it. So there's a lot of advantages that are built in, but does it reduce anxiety? And the question I can say from studying this now for, four, for a year, over a year straight, yes, it does, and, this is, and I can also explain how it works. And a lot of it has to do with a layover from mindfulness-based stress reduction. But some of the stuff is coming from other sources that we were surprised at, like the synchrony in the yoga class, yeah. synchronized vinyasa. The, I, we found the study started on synchrony in... Uh, synchronous movement. Synchronous movement, like breathing together and moving together. Like, that's, it's, it's pretty cool. It started in 1927, the studies. Actually, they started in the 1800s, the European explorers found people doing synchronous motion in almost all these tribes and they said this is not the kind of behavior that's proper <laughs> you know like but it really was was bringing the tribe together it's i what mean it that's did. what it does it's, it it's, brings it the studies show it's primal to human evolution yes the it's it helped bring cultures together social cohesion a sense of being affiliated pro-social compassion altruistic behavior improves likability goes up this is all from, every one of these is a study, is a peer-reviewed study. Um, in addition, synchrony fosters mentalization, which is socially consequential processes, is the language they use. What, what they really mean is you have better social judgment if you're synchronized with people for a bit. So it's also very closely associated with the flow state. Both of these, the flow state of the nine elements that make up a flow state, five of those elements in the flow state have to do with lowering your awareness of yourself as separate. And synchrony is and does exactly the same thing. It lowers your awareness of yourself. It's very closely associated with syn synchrony and what we do in synchronized vinyasa. It's very close to what Csikszentmihalyi taught in, in, um, in flow state studies. So this, the, so much, you can see all the stuff I, that we're excited about. Um, we think yoga's set up right now to play a bigger role. We think that yoga studios can be the front line of resilience in this a very big rise in anxiety. So that's what we're, we're hoping. And we hope that we can help train teachers how to deal with it and make their classes more potent therapeutically. Right. Yeah. More potent classes by throwing out what's... Because there's serious. a lot that's going on right now in yoga classes that doesn't, that actually contributes to the problem versus helps. So we're, we're hoping to spread the education of these are some elements that you can introduce or incorporate or perhaps do better in your yoga studios and classes that actually help people. So as BJ and I have experienced, Live Love Teach has not uh, made its way into every studio and we practiced all over the country and uh, where we are now, a lot of there's a lot of music. I am very grateful to work at a studio where it, a lot of times there's no music, which is amazing, and there's no mirrors there. But for somebody who's listening to this, because obviously we're speaking to the teachers, right, and they've got this option to come, even the students do, 
uh, have this option to come and, and do some training with you guys. But for the people who are out there listening, being like, God, I live in this little town and I just have this yoga studio and they're playing music and they're talking the whole time. How can I still make yoga work for me in a reduction of the anxiety that I experience in my life? If they're not able to come to your class, what can they do on their own? You know, in a classroom where there isn't synchronized movement and there's a lot of words and music and, you know, maybe a, a form of, of those things that I just described. Well, first of all, exercise, right, is going to help right there. <laughs> so I, would, I wouldn't say don't stop going. You still go. Like most, most yoga studios will de deliver exercise at the very least, right? right? Um, and hopefully some sort of breath training at some level right so right there there's that's a big deal and then I I mean my answer would be to just to to if they're listening to this they're obviously tuned into continue to educate yourself and in, in the best ways you, ha you know how books there's so many books about yoga there's so many podcasts there's so much so much available online and just start to take this angle like okay how does just like we started doing well how what are the yoga practices that help deal with anxiety and how do they work and start doing I think they Doing can your own I think they can turbocharge. Wait, now Philip's got two mics. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs that. <laughs> Only one mic for Philip. I think you can t turbocharge your practice with breath. The breath awareness is yeah. so obvious. It's so easy, and you could do it all the time. You don't have to be in a yoga studio, but when you're in a yoga class, and even if the music's playing and the teacher's saying inhale, exhale, and no one's listening, you can do your own pranayama there in that class, throughout the class. If you take the breath seriously, you're gonna get a huge therapeutic bump. Um, and I think no matter what the studio is going on in the studio, you can still do it. Maybe it's even gonna be better. The music can be, be a form of a, a, a challenge. You know, yeah. like, you know, as like, athletes, <laughs> that's what we want. Like I can tell you, I go into this to mantra and I'm like, oh, the music is playing. This is elevating my awareness. Like I need to really show up. Yeah. If, if I'm gonna stay. In my breath, yeah. if I wanna do this. Mm -hmm. Despite right. yeah. the, the Melody Beatty like quote at the end, it's like, how many of these quotes you're gonna have, right? And like, I just wanna be quiet like and have that space, but um, it can be yeah. Like the poses, yeah. like the heat, like the yeah. challenge, like the yeah. long holes. It, it's an it's an opportunity, and you know, just like what BJ said, like for me, it's an opportunity to live in a place that's beyond my mental preferences, right? Because I feel like the mental preferences causes so much suffering. I like this, I don't like this. I like that. I like this teacher, I don't yeah. like this. Yeah, I like this song. Oh, I don't like this song. So it really is uh, a way to up your game. Yeah. You know, it's like where the rubber meets the road. But I guess the message that we're sending out to the students is like, don't give up. Right. You can you can be doing this stuff on your own. And when you're driving, shut the radio off and definitely shut the news off and uh, and practice breathing when you're cooking, when you're taking a shower, you're washing your hair. Right. Paying attention. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn. I love his definition. This might be paraphrasing a little bit, but it's paying attention on purpose, moment to moment, without judgment. Without judgment or reactivity. Or reactivity. Yeah, reactivity is enough. That's, those two things, you take those away. You, but people say, well, I, I can't stop judgment. I can't stop reactivity. You go, good, just watch yourself do it. That's all you do. You don't, it's not going to disappear tomorrow. But you go, oh, there I am being reactive. Interesting. Oh, look, I'm judging somebody. Interesting. Now, it's, those things are separated from you. There's things that you're observing. You are clean from that. 
you're just watching. So meditation can, can be simplified so much. If you say, whatever happens inside your meditation is fine, just notice it. Don't try not to catch yourself in a conversation with it. Don't pull yourself into the living room with Oprah and have a big debate over the information. And even if you do that, that's not wrong. All you do is say, oh, you catch yourself and you go, oh, I'm with Oprah now. Oh, geez, I go, how did I get all the way there? I'm watching myself have this conversation. It disarms the whole thing. And so that can help people. We say, this is a great thing to think about. You used resistance uh, in the opening and you opened this podcast, you said something about resistance. Just dropping resistance to what's happening now is so simple. Like you get people sitting in resistance, just say, sitting in, in meditation. Yeah, I, I can somehow sense if they're resisting a little. Like not always. And I say, just drop. If you're resisting, just drop your all resistance. And you don't have a problem. Notice anytime you have a problem, it's because you're resisting. Resistance equals I made a problem. Dropping resistance means I'm problem free for the time. Problem free. How do they drop resistance? Just go, I'm res recognize they're resisting and say, nah, it's not hard. <laughs> just go, I'm not resisting that. I'm just not going to resist exhale, it. Exhale, feel your exhale. Move yeah. your, right? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like a challenge on their identity, though, right? Their identity is like, I, I, they put up the, the barriers, the, yeah, yeah. the expectations that, you know, this is the class I'm going to have and I'm going to do this pose. And when you tell them to sit still and be quiet, or be calm with their thoughts. It's a, it's challenging their identity basically because it's merged together, uh, open to everything, attached to nothing. I think Wayne Dyer said or some, something along those lines. But always keeping an open mind. And when you do that, you, the resist, the walls just kind of they just fall like slowly fall, and you see. Um, resistance is. They have to recognize that they're yeah. resisting. That's the hardest part. Is that, is the awareness that they're doing it then that's the mindfulness changes. You have to be aware that you're resisting, you but identify. once you are, and lately in classes I've been really working on the muscles of the face for people, that really works for me, is just, you, it's hard to stay in a state of, physical state of resistance if you relax the muscles of your face. <laughs> that's what I've noticed, so that if you can train your students to, be aware, like, so for me, rather than say the word resistance to them, just, just in your everyday self-awareness, notice if your facial muscles are tense. Because it's pretty easy to see if you're resisting the physical aspect of a pose. Like, you can go, oh, what if you just relax that part? Oh, I'm not resisting. I, it's not a problem anymore. Like, that is a training for, then you can do it, then the next, gra the graduate level would be, get them good at that, and then they go, are you doing that in your mind? It's like a stepping stone. Are you resisting in your own mind? Are you, is your mind at war with something? Are you against, think in your mind, are you against something right now? Or are you really for something that's not happening? Like that can be resistance too. But that's, that's such a great and quick shortcut, I think, resistance. Mm -hmm. You used it to start this with that word. I love mm -hmm. it. Resistance, yeah. yeah. You got to be aware first, right, Renee? Like you were saying, we got to be aware first. But I remember you saying once in class, Philip, like notice Notice the very moment that your mind wants to make this a battle. Mm. And, that, and, and when, once we see that, then yeah. we have a choice. Yeah. We have a choice. All right, any final words? When's your next training? October. All right, tell <laughs> us about that. <laughs> Our next training. Speak up. Yeah. <laughs> Our next training is in October. And it's, uh, it's going to be held in Jamestown, Rhode Island. We'll take several classes here at Rippey. Um, there's three different options. There's a three-day intro if you just want to come and check us out. and um, it's, That's over a weekend. It's October 18th to 20th. 
Uh, so you get, I always say it's like putting your toes in the water. You get a little taste of what we do, how we do it. Um, and then, and it's also a great opportunity if you are, are already a teacher, live, love, teach, trained or not, to come and get a little tune-up, we call it, so that we, we will actually look at your teaching and offer any coaching if we had any. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Often, we Oftentimes do. they we do, like 100% of the time. Like 100% of the time. But I, just to be clear, we also invite you to give coaching on our teaching as well. We're always open to that. And I think that that's how everything evolves is because we encourage our students to challenge us too. Because we you want guys to be challenged. We want to be able to, because sometimes we'll go, oh, that's a good point. Why are we doing that? Yeah, why are we doing that? That's a good question. Yeah. So, and that's that just, beginner's yes. mind, like yes. always learning, yes. always being always. open to learning. Awesome. Um, thank you guys so much. Thank we you. really appreciate your time. Philip, thank you. Renee, thank you. Thank so you. good to be thank here. You guys coming and, and teaching here with us. Wonderful. It's so great. To have you guys back. Are you going to come back here forever or no? To live here? <laughs> no. <laughs> to take you to come and be in That's an N-O. I can't. Absolutely. I can't imagine. We're going to have to go back and see you. Yeah, you'll have to come to Carlsbad. All right, we're going to wrap this up because uh, maybe they're going to give us some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want to record?